Welcome back to Unleashed, and this is going to be fun today. I'm telling you, we're going to have one of the guests on from my my yesteryears that is one of the funniest guys I have ever known in my life, and he has more stories, yeah, than anything that I have ever written. So it's going to be a fun, fun, fun podcast today. Um, Eric, good to see you. Good to see you. You've got the uh, Unleashed shirt on today. I've got him rocking it. Yeah, you st- I didn't wear mine today. I'm, I must have missed the memo, but yeah, you've got it on. Looks good. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. By the way, we do have Unleashed t-shirts. We never really talk about it, but uh, you can always email us in and kind of find out more if you're interested in those. So, Well, Eric, what do we got today? Okay, I've got a question about music. Oh, right up our alley. So Craig was plays the drums? He does. Well, he plays drums, bass, he, you know, lots of stuff. Okay. Uh, as also someone that plays the drums, I want to know, you've been in multiple bands, how do you stay humble on the road when drummers are known for being modest, the most handsome, talented? Um, <laughs> you know, do you, do you have any any tips or tricks for any any of the other listeners? Out yeah, there? that's why they put gifted. drummers. That's why they put drummers in a cage. Yeah, they're gifted. Yeah, well, yeah, mm-hmm. you have to kind of keep them separate because their their aura is so strong. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I can tell you're a drummer. They're always humble too. Very they humble. like one time they gave Craig a pin for being humble, but they had to take it back because he wore it too much. I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so let me let me just go ahead and introduce uh, my friend here. In, in uh, Craig Clope is who we've got on here today. And so I'll just kind of get right into the bio, and then we'll get into the fun stuff. Um, you know, we have been friends. Oh, I'm trying to think. It's I mean, Craig, we're looking at 40, 40 plus years. Yeah. Jay, Bernie, how old yeah. are you? Whipper snappers. Um, I mean, a lot of, of water has passed under the bridge since then. Um, so I want to do Craig justice here because he's he's one of these um, guys that's done it all. I mean, been there, done that, and it's like you can't like one up him on stuff. So he had. I said, can you like you know get me some information? He sent me a bio. And uh, I think it was titled kind of like the Big Adventure, and you can you can elaborate on that. Not to be confused with Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, here we go. Jay, Jay, I forgot the Jay Craig Clope um, grew up in Kentucky. He was the youngest of four boys. Uh, he came from a musical family and played drums around the region throughout his teenage years. After graduating, he moved to Nashville. What's the quickest way to find a musician in Nashville? What is it? Waiter. Yeah. <laughs> um, he moved there uh, to pursue a musical career with his longtime friend and future Grammy Award winner, um, Stephen Curtis Chapman. And that was before the Curtis was in that. You've known him since like, yeah. you guys were like babies or something. Uh, it wasn't long before he landed a gig and started traveling all over the country as a professional drummer. Uh, one weekend during a break in touring, he went back to Kentucky to visit his family where he had learned that he'd been set up by his sister-in-law on a blind date with a girl named Laura. They fell in love and were married exactly two years later. This is kind of like Princess Bride here. Um, after they married, uh, Laura moved to Nashville with Craig where they settled down and started a family. Um, baby cry inserted here. Uh, Craig came off the road for a while during that time and started listening to late night radio. Craig has like one of the most cool voices for radio you've ever heard. Uh, he realized there was no celebrity talk shows and was just naive enough to think that he could start one. That's a big uh, bite to take off. Um, against all odds, with no background in communications or experience in radio, this kid in his 20s started a celebrity talk show in his spare bedroom that was eventually a syndicated, it was syndicated nationwide. 
Um, before long, celebrities like Glenn Campbell, Buddy Ebsen. Wow. I mean, that was like, was that, um, what was that show he was known for? Not the, the detective one, but. Uh, Beverly Hillbillies. Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, Chubby Checker were on a few of his shows. Didn't you also have, um, was it um, Bob Denver from yeah. Gilligan's Island? Yes. Yeah, Gilligan. Um, let's see here. Um, during a hiatus, he received a call from a guitarist friend who he'd traveled with a few years prior, named Stacy David. Stacy would go on to have his own nationwide television show, but before that, he and Craig traveled and played together on corporate gigs. And after Stacy signed with a major television network, Craig took over and started producing the corporate shows. And this is kind of where we started getting reconnected again years later, because I think you were working, was it the Indianapolis 500? Was it like Carb Day? Or was it? I'm trying yes. to remember what um, so, yeah, I started doing that. Actually, the corporate music shows, we reconnected during that time, but I never I saw you on one of those. Those were mostly out in the Midwest and down in, in Florida area. Um, never made it. Uh, we never did one in Indiana, but we would travel as far as California doing outdoor expos. Yeah. And I would put together uh, a band of inst uh, instrumentalists from Nashville. Yeah, Nashville, that's maybe, right. Vince Gill's keyboard player and, and Garth Brooks guitar player was a variety of different musicians. You know, uh, but before me, that, I... going back to uh, Kentucky, uh, the J, you mentioned J, Craig. J stands for genius. Yeah. Uh, I'm from Kentucky. <laughs> J, J for genius. Yeah, that's the Kentucky. <laughs> but yeah, when I grew up, I, uh, I grew up in a musical family, but I never uh, initially never really thought of it as a profession. It just seemed like something that everybody did. And then they went on and had normal jobs. One thing I was fascinated with, uh, young, I'm talking eight to 10 years old, my brother for Christmas one year got a clock radio. And this was almost, almost uh, before even digital clock radios. This actually had, and I don't know if you ever saw one of these, that had numbers that actually was on some type of an internal dial that would flip every minute. Yes. It would flip into a new number. That's yes. how old this was. Um, and so at night, I would listen to AM radio because I would, I remember vividly in my bed at night, lying there and listening to um, stations as far as away as San Antonio and Chicago, because AM, as you know, at night would carry FM right. would only go 100 miles or so, but AM could carry 1,000 miles or more if it was the right night and the right frequency. And I'd listen to these stations and I, w I remember lying there thinking, oh, this uh, kid from a small town in Kentucky, I would just visualize what those people were doing in San Antonio or Chicago or St. Louis. And, uh, and I always, I always uh, was interested in airplanes. When I was young, I, I remember about that same age, eight to 10 years old, I would write Boeing, Cessna, <laughs> McDonnell Douglas, and get them to send me all this information. And, and just kind of fantasize about what it would be like to just fly around. And now I've, after 1,500 flights, the, the uh, fun has kind of worn off on that end of it. But how did I, I miss still that? Enjoy it. Like, yeah, that? You yeah, love I, planes? I mean, I know how much you fly now, which is crazy ridiculous. Right. But, you know, I, I was, I, you were talking about AM radio. I remember I had a little black and white radio, a little yeah. AM when I was a kid. You know, we'd be out playing ball in the street and – we kind of, you know, get the radio tuned in and get past the static and finally get in, into something and set it aside as we were playing, you know, whatever we were playing. But those things sounded like you were like talking into a, uh, like into a metal cup. Right. That kind of sound. You know, okay, true story. This is really funny. 
So, you know, like everyone has their first rodeo. You have your first kiss, right? Um, my first kiss, this is going to be an interesting story, actually happened on a school bus, but it was on a youth group trip. We all know those youth group, group, <laughs> group trips. And yeah. we were going to Colorado, and they didn't have a bottle to play spin the bottle. I didn't even know what this game was <laughs> at this time. And they borrowed my radio to spin it in the back of the bus. And the funny thing was the first people that it pointed to was myself and this other girl who I did not want to kiss. I didn't even – I hadn't even – my grandmother, right? I mean, that was like the yeah. worst thing in the world. Um, but you wiping your mouth when you leave the house. And um, she gives me this big kiss. And um, – I didn't know what this thing called French toast was. It was a little joke what they would call it, but that's exactly what <laughs> happened. And I freaked out. I mean, it was obvious this was now my first rodeo. And the only thing I can remember taking away from that experience was she had just eaten a McDonald's Big Mac for lunch. Oh. That's my memory. Did that make you crave Big Macs after that, <laughs> or, or did it make you a Burger King fan? Uh, at that point, I kind of would have rather like licked the floor or something. It was. Ugh. You must have had a wealthy church uh, go from Pennsylvania <laughs> to Colorado, and ours had about a sixty-mile radius for youth groups. So. Right, right. Hey, and so I mean, I can finish. I mean, there's. I'll finish the the bio, but we're going to be talking about what's on the rest of the bio. So we'll kind of leave it there. Um, that sixty-mile radius you're talking about, you know, with your church and going that far, you now have traveled do you have any idea you probably have never done this i haven't either but approximately how many miles you think you might have traveled in your career i i don't really uh i haven't figured the miles up i'm pretty sure it's uh around a million but i'm not oh, sure it's exactly. gotta be more than that yeah i know it's about 1500 flights um, yeah wow um so um you know some of the flights could be from here to atlanta and some could be to seattle there a lot of everything in between um, but the, I've never figured up the actual miles and going back and looking at airline miles, you can kind of get a ballpark. You know, I yeah. know I've, uh, um, you know, I've stayed in a ton of Marriott's, you know, I know last year alone, I think I stayed in 178 Marriott's and it's always 365 yeah. days. That's a lot. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot. And, and, yeah. and add to that another probably 40 Hilton's. So 200 yeah, we're plus always days. like. You know, we'll get on our phone and Facebook. You know, I can see you're flying somewhere. I'm like, where are you at? How long are you going to be there, man? Yeah. We're like ships passing in a night. I was in Vegas a couple of weeks ago. And you and I, my wife, Stacy, was that last year? Or was that two years ago when we had dinner at, was it Guy Fieri? It was last year. Was it? I, I okay. believe it was last year. It could have been two. And time flies. But, um, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. But yeah. I saw, I saw yeah. where you were getting, you posted this on Facebook. Someone asked you if you were going to be somewhere. And then you said you were going to be down at Daytona. Uh, for the 500 here in a couple of weeks. So what are you doing with that? Uh, yeah, so that's this week. Uh, so what's today, Monday? So yeah, we yeah, fly there Wednesday. Um, so I, now I do a variety of things from producing, managing, event planning, a, a, a bunch of different things. So in this one, this is a little bit different. I'm going down to help out uh, on in an area. It's at the Daytona. Most of the, most of the people that hire me, I should say, are the corporate sponsors of events. So if it's the Super Bowl or the NCAA Final Four, uh, it would be the official sponsor. Usually it, it hires me. Same when, uh, and we'll get to it in a little bit, like the Rolling Stones and Elton John. Uh, yeah. Elton didn't write the checks. It was the corporate sponsor that hired my wife and I. Um, so yeah, that that type of thing. So it's the same thing on this one. I'm just going down and and it, this was kind of a last minute add on. My wife and I are going down to kind of help out the corporate sponsor 
on that one, which it, um, coincidentally is Chevy Racing is who we'll be working with. And and then a couple of weeks later, we go to uh, Sebring, go back to Florida. Yep. We were there actually um, a couple of weeks ago for Cadillac Racing at the same track, the Daytona track, International Speedway, for their 24-hour race. And then we'll go and and so we do some racing. That's um, that's kind of a small percentage. It's more this year than it normally is, um, just by a turn of events and how things worked out. But uh, next next month we go to Sebring, which is a twelve hour overnight race, uh, and help manage that event uh, for the, that's uh, with Cadillac Racing also. You know, uh, I never we, think of Cadillac being like in racing. I did a commercial. Oh yeah, they're very successful in their in their uh, I can, division. Yes. I mean, I did a commercial years ago for the for the car. You know, it was a Cadillac, Cadillac, Cadillac style. I don't know if you remember that commercial from years yeah, ago. Yes, yeah. And have you driven a Ford lately? All that stuff. Right. We were talking yeah, about yeah. music yeah. and this. Well, let me let me kind of go back. So, um, take, taking you back to like your musical roots, like when you first started. Now, you used to always say, I remember this when we'd be out on tour together. Was we traveled with, back in the day, was Chapman Henderson Band, and that was Stephen Curtis Chapman before the Curtis, as we were talking about a minute right. ago. And you would always introduce yourself as um, someone who grew up in a town called Highwater? High Point. High Point. High Point. And you yeah. would always say, interestingly enough, that's the only place that flooded, flooded every, every year. year. Yeah. 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 And then you'd say, and if you want to know where it is, it's between what were those two cities? Yeah, and th this this uh, was actually from, and and it, this was kind of Paducah. So High Point is basically a, a, on the outskirts of Paducah, Kentucky. And years ago, I mean, probably in the early seventies, um, on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, Doc Severinsen, he asked Doc where he was going to be coming up, and he said, oh, "I'm going to be in Paducah," and Johnny said, "Where is that?" And he said, "Halfway between." Uh, possum trod and monkey's eyebrow. Right, I remember and that now. They started making shirts about that, and uh, so that's something that Steve and I would both joke about. You know, if they'd say, "Where are you from?" and we'd say, "Halfway between Possum Trot," which is actually they are both two little towns. Uh, you know, about thirty miles on each side of Paducah. Uh, so, and they're so t monkey's eyebrow. I think is completely unincorporated. It was just the site of the the local. Uh, television station antenna or something it's just a just a spot in the wall but it, it made for a comical description if you if anybody asked where you were from but yeah steve talking about i knew him before the curtis or even the the in the steven we just he was just steve to us yeah and uh, we went to school together all the way from elementary school however he was ahead of me in school and so we weren't friends in school i knew him you know he would be in talent shows and 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 was would win talent shows. So I mean, he was well known in the school as far as that type of stuff. And he'd play he'd play his guitar that was way bigger than he was in like third grade in the talent show. And and it was like, wow, he's really good for a little kid. You know, you, even then you knew he had something extra. And you know, uh, a lot of people don't know his brother, but Herbie, we always right. we went to school together and we traveled together. He he is uh, he's a talented guy. He's great. And and they would sing together because Herb was yeah. a couple of years ahead of him. And so while they were in school together, like like he would be in third grade and Herb would be in, in uh, you know, fifth grade at the talent show. Steve would sit on a stool with this huge guitar and Herb would stand up next and they would sing together. And they sounded great, you know, and they'd win a lot of times. Uh, but I would just see them. And, but I didn't know who they were. They were ahead of me in school and I didn't know them at all. 
And it wasn't until high school that um, Steve started playing drums with a uh, kind of a well-known group in that area. Uh, it was a gospel group that my brother played guitar for and had for years and years. He'd been with them. And, and uh, I, they, was, they were family for him. I and they were just part of the family, really, the whole group. We all grew up together and went to church together. And Steve played drums for them for maybe a year or two. I don't remember exactly how long. Uh, but And I was actually playing with another group um, that from a guy that's now in the Grand Ole Opry every week and with the Whites. He had a group. And he was the original drummer of this group that my brother played in. They were called the Alvies. And, oh, yeah. Uh, that's right. Yeah. I remember that now. And, yeah. And, and uh, the drummer that when I was, you know, eight years old, I would go anytime they were doing like concert scenes, I would go and sit and I would watch Eddie uh, was a drummer at the time. I'd just watch him and uh, play on my, you know, on my knee and that kind of thing. I didn't own a drum set at all, uh, but I would just, just watch and watch. And he was with him for a few years. And then he went on and started playing with, moved to Nashville and started playing with other groups. Uh, but we remained very close friends, uh, Eddie and myself. And so he called me when I was 13 and said, how would you like to, you know, not really go on the road with us, but join the group because these were groups that were regional groups. So they would do weekends, but it was always, you know, occasionally uh, a trip to Florida maybe, but most weekends consisted of something within a hundred miles. It um, may be a gymnasium at a high school an hour away, or it could be a church or whatever. And so Eddie called and asked if I wanted to join their group, which I was thrilled to do. And uh, I was 13 and I did that. Uh, they, the group was together for a couple of years before Eddie moved uh, with his wife, Valerie, to Nashville. And so the, the group kind of disbanded uh, the time I think I was 15. And uh, so the, uh, I think my brother, I was telling you, Terry was a guitar player yeah. for the Alvies. I think he couldn't go to an event. And so since Steve played guitar, he played drum, drums for the Alvies. But since he was a guitarist and they knew I wasn't playing that week and they called me and said, can you fill in? We're playing at a high school auto, uh, gymnasium up. I don't remember where it was like 40, 50 miles away a Saturday night. Can you play? And so I, I said, sure. So I went up and played. And that was the first interaction I'd ever had with Steve. Even though, like I said, we went to the same school and all. It was more just like, hey, how you doing? And and passing um, and not not close, you know, uh, up to that point, we weren't, you know, we hadn't been around each other at all. And so we played that night and it went well. Um, you know, everything, you know, I locked in immediately and I was very comfortable and was, and, and they felt like I was doing some, some cool stuff. And, and Steve and the bass player, which was Steve's age, Denny. Um, oh yeah. They were thinking, um, about getting a contemporary group together. Uh, they didn't have a drummer. And so that night they were like, Hey man, we've been thinking about this doing like a little power trio. Uh, we'd love to have you join us. And so I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it sounded cool, you know? And so I said, yes. And from that night on, I was a drummer with the Albies from then on. Uh, and Steve played guitar. Even when my brother came back the next week, uh, he, my brother played guitar and he could also play steel guitar and other things. So he would, they both played. Uh, 
but I was pretty much the drummer until until I moved to Nashville, and they or they kind of disbanded. But um, so we we started this uh, group, and we uh, that I remember it was my first really paying gig, and it wasn't it was fifty bucks uh, with uh, we did this. You talk about your youth group. We did like a youth. I think it was a Halloween deal at this barn somewhere that Steve had known people. It was a youth group. And I remember thinking, man, this, I can't believe that. I mean, this was a long time ago. So 50 bucks was, wasn't bad. And for a kid, you know, 15 year old. And I thought, man, this is, this is it. This is what I need to be doing. You know, I don't, you know, this is the, this is the way to do it. And so we played and uh, we were together maybe a couple of years before Steve moved away. And, and when he moved away initially, and you probably remember this from stories, but he originally, and it's, I was just couldn't believe it. You know, he's talented, he sings, he writes, he had the whole package, you know, uh, instrumentalist. And he told me one day he was moving uh, and he was going to school in Georgetown, Georgetown, Kentucky to be a dentist. And I mean, my heart just sank. I thought, oh man, I can't believe that. I mean, that's a noble, noble profession, but come on, man, it's all this talent. I can't believe the world's not going to hear this. And uh, so he he went, he actually went and kind of went in pre-med or dental school and hated it. And then uh, and then met a keyboard player up there and, and they convinced him to move to Anderson where you met him. Yes. Kind of the rest of his history. Yeah, but, that, I think yeah. it was Danny Daniels that he had met. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. And, and uh, that if not for that meeting, one day, I think he said he was playing out somewhere on the campus and he happened to walk by and hear it. If that hadn't happened, he could very well have become a dentist and yeah. no one ever have heard any of his music. It would have been a crying shame. But It should have been Herbie that was a dentist. What was the name of the dentist from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? Yeah, Herbie. It was Herbie. Yeah, I, I wanted to be a dentist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't well, that's know about when, Herbie operating with me under <laughs> anesthesia, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Herbie. It'd be like the dentist on Seinfeld. Yeah, we'll get into we'll get into Herbie a little yeah. bit later if we can remember a story. Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's some really funny, funny. I wish we had a lot of time because there's so many funny things. So many stories. So what, Steve what and I met um, at Anderson University, Anderson College back then. I was in a practice room playing piano and singing, which is weird because I had just kind of started. I played piano since I was a little bit singing. I just, I didn't do it. And he comes in with Herbie one day. And he goes, man, can we try something together? And we did. The next thing you know, we're touring together. And then he goes, hey, I got this drummer friend, you know, back in Kentucky that he could tour with us. And you drove up and yeah. um, we were in a van. We were traveling down by the river. And uh, yeah. we traveled all over the place. Um, I mean, we were all over the place. Yeah. And honestly, you know, of all the touring, I don't know, you know what your life has been like because we've had so many different directions. Yeah. Those were those, some of the most fun days of my life. Oh, yeah. That was, oh. That's what I was going to say. You know, and this happened, I mentioned, or when you were reading the bio, you mentioned Stacey David. He, he actually has a very successful television show now, and he's well-known in certain circles. But we played together in a group after I moved to Nashville with Steve and Herb. Uh, Steve, at the time, signed a uh, songwriting deal. And so he was kind of devoted to songwriting. He had not uh, yet signed. That was with Benson, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was there and he was doing demos and that was kind of his deal. And so he wasn't uh, singing at the moment. And so when I moved to town with him, I was wanting to play with whoever I could. And so um, I got a, a couple of auditions and went out on the road. And uh, and Stacy David was the guitar player and the first group I went out with. And 
and looking back, it seemed like we were together years. And when we figured it up one time, it was four months together before he went on with someone else. Uh, but when you're when you're traveling on the road with somebody, especially even if it's we were on a bus, but even a, a, a van or a bus, you get to know people more intimately oh, yeah. than people that have worked 20 years on on a, an assembly line with somebody. I mean, you, you get to know everything about their family and you just know every sto funny story because you're spending eight hours a day, you know, with us. We were elbow to elbow in a van. With I, the, I can remember times when, when we would get to a hotel and there would be, I don't remember who all was on tour, if it was just the four of us at that time or whether Eric Horner was with us yet or Mark Apple. And these, but we would get to a hotel and there would be two beds and we're like, how are we going to do that? I think there might have been five of us at the time or something, and we yeah. would push those beds together. <laughs> and somebody <laughs> had to get that crack in the middle yeah. of the bed. Yeah. And I can remember, we're like, it's like a Sunday morning. We've got to be somewhere to sing, right? Yeah. And so, you know, when you have five guys in a hotel room and there's one shower, you know, and everyone's yeah. trying to get in and out of there, we're like, Craig, get out of the shower, yeah. man. And you go, dude, I can't get this, this shampoo to lather up. And here you were using conditioner the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So I, I, you, you know, yeah. this story's coming. Yeah. You, you know, this is coming. You know exactly where I'm headed. I'm so, so this one summer, you know, we just didn't have enough room. So didn't we, it was your car with yeah, the van. So one, uh, one year, uh, actually both, both summers, we pretty much or the second summer. I went up and met everybody. And so the entire time we were all together as a unit, Mark Apple joined us. So all five of us in a van for three months solid going everywhere. We went all the way down to Mexico. Yeah. You know, we went down to Laredo yeah. Nuevo and went to Mexico. Right. Uh, but the year before that, uh, we went uh, a pretty good chunk of time together. But there was a couple of off, uh, like two week off deals where I joined up with the group. And yeah. uh, like Mark and I joined up and you guys would do, do your thing. This was before we kind of started traveling full, quote unquote, full time right. on that, on that first tour. But that was one of the times that you guys had gone uh, for a couple of weeks by yourself and you had a run where we were going through some bigger places with a lot more young people. And so you wanted a full band and we came out and joined you. So there was a, a couple of week period that, my car was involved and we yep. would, I would follow the van and somebody would ride with me. And, uh, so that, that, and definitely freed up the van. So there was only three in there. So it was much more comfortable, but we weren't all together. I was driving or somebody would be driving my car. I'd be riding in the side. So you know, side the, yeah. And so here's the rest of the story. Yeah. Who was it that always said that? Is it Paul, Paul Harvey? Harvey? All right. So this is now from my lens. Okay. This is what I saw because on, on one band, of those, right? I was, no, I was in the car. I was driving. Oh, the were car. driving. We were taking turns. Yeah. You, you were, were sitting in the passenger seat. Yeah. Steve, Stephen Curtis was driving the van. Herbie was over there in the passenger seat doing whatever Herbie did. Yeah. And I think somebody else was like back in the back window or something. And they're kind of looking and down South, you could get firecrackers. So we had stopped and gotten some firecrackers and yeah. Craig, now you had to know actually. It, it probably was. I always blew stuff up. Um, can't say that now. I just bad did. influence. Um, but this is a long time ago. Yeah, it was a bad influence. So we're going down the highway, and we're pulling up alongside the van. And I said, "Hey, let's let's throw a firecracker out the window." Now, Craig, you had to know back then. Craig, he would laugh like under his breath. It was like this. Mm, mm. He'd get doing that like this sound when he was really tickled about something. So he's got this firecracker. And remember, they had like the cigarette lighters in the car. Well, he's getting this firecracker ready. We're about to pull up, 
And the last thing I can remember saying was, Craig, don't forget to roll down your window. So he's, mm, he's lighting, he's laughing, and the guys in the van see us coming up, and you know, his window was da- window was down, probably a dumb idea. But he throws the firecracker, but he forgot to put his window down, and the firecracker, and they can see it. They're laughing because they can see the firecracker bounce off the window, and the thing flies down. Well, you know, like when you're in, I think you had like these smooth seats, like leather yeah, or vinyl. something. White yeah, vinyl. Seats. Yeah. And the firecracker didn't go on the floor. He didn't know where it went. Well, what happened was, just like you ever lost an M&M in a car seat, you're digging between your legs trying to get it, that's where the firecracker went. And and we're all looking at him laughing, and he's trying to figure out where it is, and all of a sudden he just plugs his ears, and the next thing you know, he's grabbing his crotch because it had slid back between his legs and blew up. We had to pull <laughs> off the highway, and we are walking around. He's, like, got powder burns or at least on oh, his man. jeans, and we're Dying I laughing. Three kids, so uh, it turned out okay. But I was a little concerned for a, a year or two there. <laughs> but what had happened was, I, I remember we had thrown a few already, and they were we were trying. We'd gotten ahead of them. I think we were on a four lane highway. We'd gotten ahead of them and would would time it where we'd throw it, and it would blow up right in front of their windshield. We did that a few times, and then I think I'd rolled my window up, and then we were going to do it again, and so we came up right next to them and I was going to throw it. And so they were, they were prepared and watching. And uh, Steve, uh, I think he mentioned this. Uh, We ran into him. uh, We went to see wicked back in December. And I think that's something he mentioned that night. One of those stories that, you know, that's just in his brain, but from their vantage point, they, they knew what happened. They knew it was in the car, but they had no idea where it was. But then he sees my, my face and my boy, you know, my mouth open screaming, at the top of my lungs but yeah that was oh. that was something that you have never forgotten i have never never the, not brought up <laughs> and the other thing that i think was so funny and i won't mention it but there was someone on tour who um was was struggling with his relationship dating relationship this one summer and it might be the same house we were at in oklahoma with the basketball goal incident but you would remember that one yes but um this guy was standing at the window. He'd been like on the phone for like two hours and he was really sad. It was dark out. Everyone had gone to bed. It was late. We would always stay up late on those yeah. tours. And Herbie, you never knew what Herbie was going to do. He kept us in stitches all the time. We're kind of standing back. We're kind of concerned about this guy. And he's on the phone looking out the window. What can we do to cheer him up? Well, Herbie found that Herbie was always searching through people's stuff, right? Right. <laughs> and he goes and he, he finds this Ronald Reagan mask. And there was a trampoline outside the window. And all of a sudden, he you see Ronald Reagan in his underwear jump up in front of the window and disappear. And he's on a trampoline, and he's doing this, trying to cheer Mark up. And Mark, sorry, I just said his name, never flinched, right? He's just, like, staring straight ahead. We're dying, dying oh, yeah. laughing. But that was Herbie. Herbie was comic relief. Oh, and, uh, yeah, he was always – and sometimes – inappropriately it would be like a serious <laughs> moment and he would do something uh crazy but that was herbie that's why we loved him so much but uh, he still he still has a few of those up his sleeve he is so funny oh my word i remember then, uh okay oh, i was gonna say i remember uh when we moved to a house uh years ago and him he was coming over we invited him and his wife and another couple over and uh it was gonna be like let's get get together six o'clock or whatever and it was like maybe five thirty, and and my wife Laura said, uh, "Somebody's here already." And I look out, and it's Herb's car that he was driving separate from Sherry. They were coming from work or something, and his car's out there. And, and I step out and look; nobody's in it. 
And, uh, and I'm like, he's not out there. I don't, did you hear anybody, anyone knock? And she said, no. And I go and I look out the back window just in time to see a foot disappear under the crawl space. He was under our house. <laughs> His idea was to wait till everybody got there and then like do ghosts. Uh, I don't know what he had planned, but Ugh. he was under the house and uh, <laughs> he was always doing crazy stuff like that. But yeah, we had such a good time together. And, and if you look at the amount of months, even those, both of those summers combined, you're talking about a six month period, Yeah, but you, you become closer and you know more about your fellow roadie road buddy than any, you know, people, like I said, that have been working the same place 20 years don't have near the connection as somebody yeah. that's traveling on the road because you're 24 seven with them. And there's so much talent that, that was in that band that at the time yes. you don't, you don't know what's going to happen down the road. You know, right. I can remember pulling up to a church in Ohio after we were done and some woman and Steve's driving the van at this time. And so we're sitting there and this woman comes out and she says, the Holy spirit told me something. She said, if you stay faithful, you're going to win more Dove and Grammy Awards than any other Christian artist ever. And at the time, you kind of drive along, you're like, I wonder what yeah. that was about. You know, was this person just yeah. got a little bit, whatever. And he did. Yeah. More I mean, he anyone. went on to win more than anybody. And more. 50 number one songs. That's happened yeah. uh, three other times. And, and the uh, company has is pretty stellar. But yeah, it's amazing. Well, and, and uh -huh. Eric Horner, who we're going to be having on next week, you knew you right. and I got to talking yeah. about this. I said, man, we got to have Eric on. You know, Eric went on to play with like Lee Greenwood and Shania Twain and mm -hmm. some other big groups. We'll talk to him next week. But I want to go back and, um, you know, outside of the corporate things or some of the early bands, I know a lot of people out there would love to hear, you know, when you got a hold of me a couple of years ago now, you said, man, I just got asked to be um, a part of, you know, I forget what you would call it with was it was it the rolling stones first yeah so that was the corporate before that yeah. if you go back even a little bit when i after i moved to nashville with steve and came off the road for a while i kind of went back to my original roots i mentioned early on of listening to late night radio because i worked a shift um where i got off at 11 at night and on the way home i would listen just like i had done as a as a kid to stations far away and i I realized there wasn't any talk shows uh, with celebrities on the radio, and none in Nashville, at least. And there were a few talk shows that would occasionally have a uh, uh, celebrity on. But unlike, you know, like if you look at The Tonight Show or David Letterman, the celebrities that were there were there to promote whatever they were doing currently. So they didn't really go back to their child. They didn't get the long, in-depth Cliff's Notes version of their autobiography. They just pretty much were telling what they were, you know, were doing at the moment. Well, on the radio, I, there was a station in Chicago and I would listen to it. And occasionally, uh, maybe once a month, they would have a celebrity on and they would have them on for like 30 minutes to an hour. And they would go. It was fascinating. Even people that I didn't think was fascinating, people I wasn't interested in. When you heard the whole story, it was fascinating. And I got the idea of starting that in Nashville. And like you mentioned earlier, with no background in communication, no experience in radio whatsoever, I uh, just decided to do it. I came up with a name that I thought sounded cool, the Entertainment Hotline. And uh, I just started uh, calling. And, and you mentioned Bob Denver also. He was one of the very first persons I was able to get a hold of. I, uh, he was on this station in Chicago. 
And I listened to it and I thought, man, that's awesome. And, and growing up, uh, the Gilligan's Island was my favorite show as a kid. When oh, I come home too. from the school yeah. bus, I knew every episode, 99 episodes. I had them memorized and I watched it over and over and I knew every episode. And uh, so it was fascinating to hear him talk about his uh, Gilligan's Island and what he did before and after. And so I just, and I'm literally, uh, I'm in my 20s at the time. I can't remember exactly how long, but I remember calling. I just, there was no internet. So I went to the library, found a Chicago phone book, went through the yellow pages, found this phone number. I would call and I remember uh, vividly, I would I called and just some receptionist answered. And I said, yeah, this is uh, Craig Clope with the Entertainment Hotline in Nashville. And I understand Bob Denver was on last week and we were trying to get a hold of him to be on our show. We didn't have, have his contact information. And she was like, oh, uh, yeah, uh, Jack Blanchard. I think he's the one that booked that. Um, let me give you his number. And 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 I'd call him. I'd say, yeah. And I'd tell him the whole spiel. And he'd say, yeah, I think uh, uh, John Smith out of our uh, West Coast office booked that. Let me give you his number. And I called John. I'm yeah, yeah. Jack Blanchard uh, gave me your number. Oh, how's Jack then? I'm like, oh, great, yeah. And he would, uh, and within you know four or five phone calls, I had Bob Denver's home phone number. That's and I remember crazy. There staring at it. I remember That's dialing. You couldn't do thinking, that now. Yeah, you, yeah, you can't. And I remember thinking, how, it was so surreal. I'm thinking, I'm dialing this number when on the other end, and I remember him answering. It was Bob Denver, and oh, that had to be weird. Uh, I said, hey, Mr. Denver, I'm. Craig Clope with the entertainment hotline. I didn't have a radio show. I just had some name I made up. So there was no radio show. I didn't have anything. And I said, yeah, well, I, uh, entertainment hotline in Nashville. I was just, uh, we'd like to have you on the show. And uh, he's like, okay, um, uh, let me give you my agent's number and, and set up a time. So in the meantime, I've got it. I'm like, oh, now I've got a guest. I don't have a show even. So I started going to radio stations asking about airtime and finally got one that that agreed to let me have an hour on Saturday night from nine to ten. And uh, I told him, I said, we got Bob Denver sitting on go, ready to go. You know, we're ready to go. And so uh, I uh, started it. I did. I had him on the show. And so I remember uh, listening some other station or maybe saw on television. Um, uh, Buddy Epson, I believe he mentioned from Beverly Hillbillies. And uh, he was he was on another show. And so I contacted that station, went through the whole deal, you know, entertainment hotline. We've got Bob Denver coming up next week. We'd like to get Bob and, and, and then, you know, Glenn Campbell and, you know, just all these celebrities one after another. And each one got easier because I'd be like, I could drop the names and say, you know, Bob Denver was on last month. We got Glenn Campbell on next week and Chubby Checker and Art Linklater and all these and uh, oh, they're like, they're thinking all of a sudden, this is, this is sounds like a show we need to be on. And so it became easier. And so um, I, dude, only I you can pull this off. It. What's that? Oh, only was, you can pull this it's off. It's one of those things that now, uh, even thinking back, it's like how, you know, I, I think naivete was my ally because I, I didn't know it was impossible to do. And so I just, I just did it. If I had thought it through and asked people, they'd have been like, oh, there's no way. Uh, but it worked out, and and like Buddy, Ep every one of them had such stories. Like Buddy Epson was the original Tin Man in the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they're going to remake that. I just set. saw that this year. They're remaking it. I think it's coming out at Christmas time. Yeah, he he uh, he said they put 
similar, something like Vaseline all over his body and blue aluminum dust on him. And that was his, that was his wardrobe. And uh, uh. he inhaled some of that aluminum dust and it almost killed him. He was in intensive care. While he was in the hospital, they replaced him with the 10 men we remember. Uh, but he had so many stories. All, all of them had stories. Art Linkletter, you know, he was, he was the original Kids Say the Darnest Things. Kids Say the Darnest Things, things yeah. He had so many television shows and books and things. And I remember asking him if he had a favorite story and uh, from the Kids Say the Darnest Things era. And he said, yeah. He said, one time, he said, uh, you know, he, he, if you remember the show, he'd have kids lined up and he would go up and kind of interview them, each one. And they were so funny because they would just say anything. And that was that was the thing that made the, the show so appealing. And it went on. Uh, Bill Cosby did a remake of it uh, years later, but it yep. was the number one show back in the 50s. And uh, it was just a and then he had books and everything out uh, that came after that. But he said he had this one little boy that was looked a little de little depressed. And he said, how are you doing? He said, I'm doing good. He said, well, not really. He said, my dog died last week. And Art said, well, he said, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. He said, he said, I know how you feel. He said, in many ways, a dog can be like part of the family. He said, but don't worry. He said, I believe he'll be waiting in heaven when you get there. He said, he looked up kind of puzzled. And he said, what would God want with a dead dog? <laughs> 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 but he had so many, oh. so many stories like that. He, they, they were all, that's, uh, that's what I was saying. It really, you know, when, and this is something I don't do, and you, you may or may not do it on air, on planes. I usually will get out a book or something, get my earbuds in. I don't start up conversations with yes. seatmates, typically. That's my time to, to just be alone and read or do whatever. Uh, but the few times that people have started up a conversation with me before I got the earbuds in, they've always been fascinating. And uh, I'm, I've met some really cool people. And so just in everyday life, everybody has a story. Uh, so you can imagine if there's a little celebrity, even if it's at a low level, like I remember having somebody like Eddie Munster on and people that Butch Patrick, he, he's not a household word, but people know who he is. But then we had some big celebrities on that everyone knew who they were. So, but even even if they had not done what we think had done a lot, once you start talking to them, they always had done a whole lot more than what you remember them for. So they all had great stories, just like everybody you have on your podcast. But yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was one of those things, as you know, like podcasts, it's, you know, people are like, man, this, you had a, a, a syndicated show, you were just killing it, you know, and, and it went on to be syndicated. I had one, the entertainment hotline changed into another show called brushes with greatness that was, uh, aired on a network out of Dallas, uh, which went to a lot of different stations across the country. But, uh, as you know, there's a lot that goes involved, even just a podcast, just getting guests on becomes a challenge, mm -hmm. especially when, when it's a guest that's, that has a lot of irons in the fire, like, you know, movies or TV well, stuff. And management now, a lot of times, you know, unless you have so many downloads on your podcast, right. yeah. no way you're going to get them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a different time than when I did it, which was 30 years ago. That's when I had my first show. So it's been a while. Uh, so it's, it's a lot. I'm very thankful that time. And I, and I am going to, and I've always said, I'm going to write a book about a that book. whole I'm going deal. to stay on you. Uh, and I, I even came up with a name because a lot of times, uh, you know, I started it in the spare bedroom of our apartment. And my wife would walk down the hall and she may hear, you know, Buddy Ebsen's voice or or who's, whoever's voice coming from behind the door. And so I named it Celebrities in My Guest Room oh, uh, because cool. I would 
you know, they would be, even though they weren't in my guest room, I remember running into someone who, who we admired and loved a lot, Christopher Cross. Oh yeah. And I ran into him right and uh, he was super cool. And uh, he was like, and I told him, you know, when I was, I had this show and he said, oh, I love Nashville. I'm there all the time. He said, uh, um, he said, uh, oh, he said, let's, let's do it. And I'm like, I said, I'd love to have you on the show sometime. He gave me his card and his phone number. And I said, yeah. I said, let me call you. I said, whenever it's convenient, I'll call you and we'll do it. He said, no, I want to come out to your house and do it. Well, I didn't want him to do that. I didn't want him to see, you know, because on paper it sounded great. The entertainment <laughs> hotline for all they know, the, you know, uh, they're thinking it's some high rise on music row. They're not right, going it's in right. my apartment um, bedroom. And so I kept putting it off and putting it off and I never do it, but I thought, man, I should have, he was so cool. I should have had him because you know, I would have, picked up a cajon or something and played along with him and had him oh, play yeah. sailing. Just to say I played with Christopher Cross. So, but he was super humble and, and just a really, really nice guy. And I regret, there's a few couple of things like that I regret. Another time I was invited to have lunch with Zig Ziglar, who I admired, and we had a mutual friend. And we, uh, he, he called me up one day and, he, and I had, you know, I've got some frequent flyer miles, so I can meet somebody for lunch and out of state and it's not going to cost me anything, but I had just been gone on a trip and I just came back. This was before my wife traveled with me. And I think I flew home on a Monday and he said, is there any way you can get to Dallas tomorrow? I'm having lunch with Zig Ziglar and I'd love you to meet him. Why? Well, I, I was a huge fan of Zig Ziglar. I had his books. I listened to him for years. I'm like, oh man. And I just, I just couldn't, I just, I, I had to turn down. I said, yeah, I said, do you do it often? He said, you know, he said, well, it's not, he said, we've done it before. He said, you know, and I said, man, the next time, give me a little notice and I will do it. And, uh, and I turned it down. And, uh, of course, Zig Ziglar passed away before I could do it, but that's another, him, him and Christopher Cross are two of my regrets of not pursuing that part a little bit more, but you know, when I'm listening, time. when I'm listening to you, all the stuff that you've done, you know, one of the things that I, I frequently talk about, you know, here on the Unleashed podcast, you know, is about living out our purpose, you know, willing to take risks to do things. Because, you know, I, I, I've never been one to want to play it safe. I'm not the one who wants to sit in a cubicle, you know, nine to five or nine to nine or whatever those things are, you know, go through rush hour traffic every day. I've always been one who, like we talked about, you're on the road blowing stuff up, right? I mean, just firecrackers, just yeah. having fun stuff. And that's the one thing, you know, I, I can go back and I can look at my past and say, wow. I mean, there's a few people that make it big in music, and they've, they've done really, really well financially in their career. But there's way more that haven't. I mean, way, way more. Mm -hmm. But most of them would tell you that they have enjoyed their life because they felt like their passion, their purpose was being fulfilled because they never went into it to make a lot of money. Maybe that was something you had in the back of your head, but you go into it because it makes you tick. That's what you love. Mm -hmm. These stories, we weren't getting rich by any means. And you still don't, in, in, for the most part, when you're doing, you know, what you love as far as like music or doing podcasts or whatever, unless you're like someone like Joe Rogan or someone who's got a big podcast. But there's, there's a joy that comes when you're living out your purpose. You, you know, had to travel. You were doing some of the corporate stuff. You were with um, the Rolling Stones here a couple of years ago. You just finished up the Elton John. Um, was it Yellow Brick Road Tour? Is that what it was? Uh, farewell tour. Yeah. Farewell, farewell tour. So that, that came about, I don't know if you remember the field of dreams movie. Yes. Do you remember that? They, um, Kevin Costner. Yeah. About three years ago, they did, they came up with the idea MLB 
who I've, we worked with before doing uh, helping out at the MLB All-Star Game. So we're familiar with that group of people that, that put that together. They were putting, uh, they were, they had the idea of going to Iowa to the place where the movie was made out in this cornfield and having uh, the Yankees and the White Sox play each other. And it was a big, big television event. It was the, it was the sporting event of the year. It won all kinds of awards. It was the highlight, highest uh, televised. I think it was, may have even been higher than like Super Bowl that year. I remember it was that. huge. Yeah. It was huge, huge. And so uh, my wife and I went out, went out there and helped manage one of the, one of the properties. And while we were there, uh, the guy, uh, one of the guy, that, the guy that hired us, he kind of casually threw it out there. He, he said, yeah, he said, uh, you guys wouldn't have any uh, desire to go out on the road with the Rolling Stones, would you? And uh, we're like, what? And he said, yeah, he said, we may be uh, uh, kind of helping produce part of the, part of that tour the, for the, for the sponsor. It was kind of like a fan zone type deal. And he said, we're kind of looking, they're kind of wanting a couple to do it. And our knee jerk reaction was no, uh, because he said, uh, he said, it's going to be 72 days out straight with them. And we're like, no, we can't do that. Um, and the more I actually went on and looked up their tour and Nashville is one of the, the biggest hubs in the country for the interstate system. There's six legs of the interstates that converge downtown. It's one of the only cities in the country that that many. And so I looked and noticed that most of the tour every week they went through Nashville. They may be in Minneapolis this weekend, the next weekend in Tampa, and they went straight through Nashville. They may have been in Austin, Texas this weekend, the next weekend in New York went straight through Nashville. You know, kept going through Nashville every week. Uh, until the last leg. Uh, so I, we started thinking about it. It's like, well, instead of staying at the Marriott, we can stay at our house. We can have, have uh, dinner with our kids who are now all, all grown anyway. Uh, so we became kind of thinking, well, maybe, maybe we can do this. This kind of sounded exciting and fun, you know, and we did, we did it. And uh, it was at, at first it was challenging because it was um, really uh Unlike, it was kind of like what when we were on the road. So now a lot of the events I do may be usually in the city three or four days. So we'll fly in, be there three or four days, fly out. So we're not, and it, it's not one-nighters like we used to do, uh, which gets tiring. Older you get yeah. doing these one-nighters. Yeah. And we were doing a lot of one-nighters where we'd be every night at a different hotel. Um, so it took us, we really had to kind of find ourselves and get a pace and get a rhythm. And once we did, it became really enjoyable and we, we enjoyed it. And as the, as the tour started to wind down, they started talking to us. They were, they were happy with, with us and, and they wanted to work with us some more. And they said, uh, I think we're going to, to, uh, sponsor Elton John's farewell tour next year. Would you be interested? We said, yes. And it worked out where we did it. And we went and went all the way to his final show in the in North America his final show was at Dodger Stadium where he had started in the 70s and was the first person to sell out uh three nights in a row and and that kind of deal and he did it again this time and super, tons of celebrities and all and I mean we just had a great time and uh and and just really you know enjoyed it and and it was a great experience we we really met a lot of friends uh that we'll be friends with you know for life and it was it was um it was totally different than what we had done 
the you know we've done event management event production uh, for years but not like something that big where it's um, where it goes on for months and months um, so it was really cool to be a part of we may do something like that again um, nothing well, like one that of the things the that you one of the things that you talk about, and we were talking about this this morning um, when we kind of got this whole thing, you know, ready today to get set up to do this. And it was it was a message that you love to deliver when you when you talk about your story, when you're talking about all the opportunities, about things that you've had to do. And if you would, as we're kind of moving you know, towards the closing here, would you just kind of share just a little bit, you know, something you can say to our listeners, you know, that that might really encourage them to kind of, you know, you know, follow your passions. Um you know, because that's one of the things that, like I said, I always talk about, what is it that makes you tick? You know, do that. Well, because I have, people... I've always, well, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you know, one of the things, I, and again, it was, I think it was John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart. He says, you know, do what makes you come alive. Because what the world needs is people who've come alive. We have a lot of people out there. We see the road rage, you know, that's happening. And people mm-hmm. are just stuck doing the same thing for a long time. So if you would, as we kind of start to wrap up here. I want you to speak to that. Just say um, to our listener again, you know, how would you encourage them to follow, uh, you know, their passions? I have always felt that God has a plan. It's not always been my plan, but looking back, if you look back through the tapestry, how it's woven together, you can see how it always, if this had not happened, if this had not happened, even, even setbacks that you think at the time were, you know, maybe a job setback or something you lose, and you, you know, some door closes, another one opens, as 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 the saying goes. But that has happened so many times in my life. And and go all the way back to the guitar player that had called me for this corporate gig a couple of years. I hadn't seen him in years. We'd lost contact. Well, he called me for this gig. Well, I can go back and and Elton John would not have happened if he had not called me. Every person I met along the way was tied back to that. Uh, so. Right. Things like that at the time, it, didn't, it may seem in, insignificant, but if you, if you believe that God has a plan. Now, I, am, I, I said this the other day to my wife. I said, I'm, I let Jesus take the will, but I want to tell him where to turn. Right. And I have that problem a lot. You know, you want to make things happen. Maybe it's God's plan. Maybe it isn't. My wife and I were talking about a future, op- possibly opportunity coming up that, you just don't, it's hard to know where, where, you know, are we trying to make it God's plan? Is, are things falling into place for a reason? And uh, that, I don't, you may have more input on that. I wish I knew how to know for sure on that. But the, the thing is to be diligent and just pray and, and, and trust that, that the plan will come together, even if it looks like it at the time it's not going to. And, and, uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, well, let me just kind of bring us down here to close. First of all, Craig, thank you so much hey, uh, for taking your pleasure. time. We're going to do this again because there's so much more we couldn't even touch on. Yes, just scratch the surface. Oh, but you know, it's it's you know we've been friends for a long time, and even though we're not we don't live close to each other, we still stay close through you know uh, messaging with each other, watching where each other is traveling. But let's just kind of let's kind of bring it down to this at the close with this, and it would be like. Um, Well, I've talked before about are you willing to risk doing something different? Um, are you? I mean, that's the big question. When you when you hear Craig's story, he created this this 
What was that called in Nashville, the, the little radio show you started? What was the name you gave it? Uh, the Entertainment Hotline. The Entertainment Hotline. Yeah, yeah, it came yeah. out of a dream that he had. It came out of something that he right. thought, you know, could this really happen? And here's the thing. He was willing to take a risk. He moved forward with something. He just kept pushing the boundaries on something. The thing that I really believe beyond a shadow of a doubt is, what's that saying? It says, you know, um, a ship is always safe in the harbor, but that's not what ships are for. Right. That's right. That's not what they were God's given for. you a purpose. He's given you a direction. You've got to learn where the wind is blowing. You have to really learn to see where God is moving. But the one thing I can say, and I've said it before on these podcasts, is when you really feel the Holy Spirit is moving you, and what he created you to do, stay the course. Right. Because I, there's I new lands and places. Thing. Yeah. Uh, with the risk, um, especially for younger people, start, if they have families and all. I've taken some risks, but I've always taken calculated risk. I never wanted to jeopardize and put my family or my household or something in a, in a position yeah. that could yeah, come they crumbling come first. down. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm a firm believer in following your dreams, taking risks. But I think doing your homework and making sure that, you know, if everything implodes and comes crumbling down, then you're still protected and, and you're not going to yep. be homeless. Yep. And again, like we always say, remember your identity is in Christ. No matter whether you become famous and make all this money and have everyone know your name or you're just this person in your upstairs thing doing a little AM radio show, but you're doing what you love, find that thing. Do that thing because that's what's going to keep the joy and the passion alive in your life. Craig, buddy, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. And I can't wait to the next one, man. Looking forward to it. Have a great day. Love you, brother. We'll see you guys next time. Okay.